Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's Impact Cyber Church. You know, today we're going to be continuing what we started talking about last week about authority and our identity. And I'll tell you, if you missed the program last week, go back and watch it before you watch this. I'm going to tell you, this is going to help you move into a place to where you know how as a human being, creating the likeness and the image of God, and as a believer to exercise your authority in ways that are just not goofy and foolish, but are based in the new covenant where you Take control of your life with the Word of God. You take control of your life and bring it in line with the promises of Jesus. I'm telling you, authority and identity flow together, and you will not exercise authority if you don't have that sense of identity, self-image, and self-worth, that dignity and worth that's given to us through the Lord Jesus. Don't go away. Get your pen and paper. I will be right back, and we're going to dive into this. You know, I've got a great free message for you this month called Seeing Yourself as God Sees You. There are few things that will transform your life as much as coming to understand and believe how God really sees and feels about you. Be sure and download this. It's a life changer. You know, one of the things that we fail to realize is that every challenge to our faith is always going to be rooted in our identity and our self-image, our self-worth. In other words, our dignity and worth. Now, that doesn't mean that every time, every temptation that comes to you is going to be something that directly straight on challenges who you are in Jesus. But at the end of the day, all of our struggles, all the places that we cave in, always get back to what we really believe about ourselves in relationship to God, what we believe about ourselves in relationship to the finished work of Jesus, who we believe we are, what we believe we're worthy of. Every struggle comes back to dignity and worth. Now, we began talking about this last week, how when God created man, how that he, according to Psalm 8, he crowned him with glory and honor. Sometimes we read something like this and we get the idea that these are consecutive events. God created man, then gave him this glory and honor or this dignity and worth. The fact that man was created in the likeness and image of God means that he came into planet earth with this sense of dignity and worth. He came into planet Earth knowing who he was in relationship to his creator. He came into planet Earth with a sense of divine authority because, you know, when you feel right about yourself, you don't feel vulnerable. You don't feel lack. You don't feel fearful. And so it's not like these are two separate sequential events that are taking place. The fact that we were created in God's likeness and image means that we opened our eyes. Man opened his eyes in a world where he had the sense of who he was and the sense that he absolutely was in charge of his own life and in charge of the environment around him. So when we're born again, then the truth is 
If we are immediately walking this path of identity, if we're being taught or if we're just yielding to where the Spirit's going to take us, we are going to have a sense of authority. We're going to have a sense of, of dignity and worth, and that's the way it's going to be expressed. I want to kind of just go through some of the components of authority and identity and how they come together and how knowing this information and utilizing this information will just transform the way you function your world. Of course, first and foremost, authority starts with identity. We've really already said that. Every challenge to your faith is always going to revolve around your identity. I mean, stop and think about it. The whole challenge to Adam is that you're not who God says you are. You're really not like him. And so there's something you need to do to become like him. The whole challenge to Jesus, whenever he was being tempted on, on the Mount of Temptation, was revolved around, if you're really the Son of God, you're hungry, so just, if you're really the Son of God, you should be able to turn stones into bread. Now, that doesn't sound like it, but see, that's kind of the struggle we go through. Sometimes when we're challenged with something, we start saying, if I was a Christian, I should be able to do this. If I was a Christian. So we start linking our identity to our every performance, our every battle, our every struggle. Now, there's some legitimacy to that because you can't afford to give up. You can't afford to cave in whenever you're faced with challenges because you will eventually begin to doubt your identity. But you know, we've already talked to you in the last six or seven weeks about all the things that you can do to establish who you are, your dignity and worth. Now, the second component of authority and identity is obviously faith. Now, our problem is, is when we think about faith, we think about trying to exert a force to make a particular thing happen. Faith, more than anything else, is rooted in our trust for God and who He says He is. You know, it's amazing. If you were to ask people, what they believe about God, and if they believe what the Bible says about God, every Christian is going to say yes, but I can guarantee you this, if you were to begin questioning them about individual things they believe about God, most of them would not be able to show you in the Scripture where they get their beliefs. Even if their belief is right or wrong, the problem is they don't even know if it's in the Bible. And what's even worse, it's never interpreting the Scripture based on how Jesus interpreted the Scripture and what Jesus showed us about God. So there has to be a trust for the fact that God is who He says He is, specifically as He revealed Himself through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is the light. And he gave us the understanding, the capacity to see who God really was by everything he taught, by everything he did, by how he treated people. Everything in his life modeled who God was. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. They were saying, well, you know, how do you know that it's always God's will to heal? There's times when it's not God's will to heal. My thing is this. Can you find a single time that a sick person ever came to Jesus and he said, no, it's not my will to heal you? Well, if Jesus was the exact representation, which Hebrews 1.3 says, the exact representation, the exact manifestation, the exact revelation of God and his character, then if God sometimes made exceptions about his willingness to heal, then Jesus would have made exceptions, but he didn't. We've got to be able to look at Jesus' life, and we've got to trust God's reports. You know, one of the things in Isaiah 53, it says, and it's saying this specifically about the death, burial, and resurrection, but this applies in general. It says, whose report 
will you believe? In other words, are you going to believe God's report, God's revelation of himself, or are you going to believe somebody else's? Or even worse, are you just going to believe your emotions? Are you going to think that your emotions are more true than what God has said, more true than God's character? That's sadly where too many believers live. So we're talking about the components of authority and identity. Of course, then there is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what we could spend hours, you know, I have an entire series called Three Days That Changed the World. That will change your world when you come to see what happened from the cross to the throne. But for this message, primarily, we want to think about the death, burial, and resurrection as the place where we can identify what was bound by his death and what was loosed by his resurrection. Now, remember, the word bind, to bind something, means to declare it as unlawful or illegal based on what has been bound or declared unlawful or illegal in heaven. Now, in the most general concept, we need to realize that no curse of the law has the legal right to come on you. Even if you deserve it, it does not have the legal right to come on you. If you are in Christ, that is what makes it illegal for these things to come on you. And by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he received an inheritance. He overcame death, hell, grave, and sin. And this means that sin has no right to control your life. It means that all of the promises of God are yours, and because every promise that God has ever made to anyone has been declared legal by the resurrection. And so we have to understand what is ours through the death, burial, and resurrection, what's legal, what's illegal. In other words, what has the right to be or not be in my life? Now, this is why it's so important for you to ground yourself in the gospel of peace. And of course, the gospel of peace includes the whole concept of the covenant of peace. That's another thing. I've spoken face to face to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people over the last 45 years. And certainly what I've done on television, I've spoken to millions and millions of people. And it's amazing, though, in the conversations that I have had with people over the years, unless they've read my book, The Gospel of Peace, or unless they have been exposed to someone that I or just a couple of other guys introduced to the gospel of peace, and therefore we introduce them to some pastors and they introduce the people. Unless they somehow connect it to it, nearly no one knows that there's a covenant of peace or that the gospel is the gospel of peace. And see, the Bible tells us that we have to be rooted in the gospel of peace. That's our foundation. So the gospel of peace, first and foremost, tells us that God made peace with man through the cross of Christ. The gospel of peace tells us what is ours in the Lord Jesus. The gospel of peace lets us know we are never to be afraid of God and we can never blame God for anything that happens. Listen, I'll be back. We're going to pick up right here. Don't go away. You're going to want to get all of this. Listen, if you're tired of feeling bad about yourself, if you're tired of not liking who you are, and you're tired of the way that's affecting your relationships and your walk with God, then you want to get my series, Dignity and Worth, a 10-CD series with two bonus CDs, which means you're going to get 12 CDs. Two of them are going to be a free gift to you because I want to invest in you. And I want to tell you, this is going to give you the tools you need to walk through a life transformation and change your sense of dignity and worth. 
All right, before the break, we were talking about being rooted or grounded in the gospel of peace. Now, you know, Paul in the book of Ephesians, he uses the concept of a warrior getting ready to go to battle. Now, sadly, most people take that and stretch that into we need to be fighting the devil and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, everything that Paul talked about in this armor that we put on has to do with establishing and guarding and protecting our faith by believing the truth. You know, the the helmet of salvation. This is our thoughts. This is our mind. The breastplate of righteousness. This is believing in our heart that we're righteous. You know, our loins girded up with truth. Well, our loins is what gives birth to everything. So you got to have truth. This is not so much about fighting the devil. This is about how we make ourselves whole and safe in a world that's seeking to destroy us. But interesting thing, in the Roman world, They understood that in battle, the ultimate thing was to maintain your footing, to maintain your balance. If you ever let anything knock you off balance and you lost your footing, you were probably going to die in battle. And so whether it was the Orient, whether it was Rome, anywhere in the world that they taught warriors how to be safe in battle, there was always emphasis put on balance and footing and being able to move around in a way that you always had your footing. Well, The reason he used that example is this. If anything in life hits you and knocks you off balance in relationship to the gospel of peace, in other words, if anything hits you and just, and you start questioning God or start blaming God, you know, why did God allow this? Why did God do this? Why is the devil able to do this to me? But anything that undermines your confidence in you and God, ultimately is you're going to lose your footing. And if you lose your footing, that situation is going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your faith, could destroy your physical life, going to destroy your emotional life, going to destroy components of your life, your health, your finances, you know, your marriage and those sorts of things. And so that's why in Ephesians 6, 14, he says, stand therefore, girding your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, actually, in the Greek, it would read something like this, having shod your feet with a thorough preparation that comes from understanding the gospel of peace. And then, of course, verse 16, and then above all, taking the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We don't have to fight against the devil. I want you to understand that. We don't have to go out there and fight him. The Bible tells us to resist him, and we'll talk about that. But basically, as long as we're in faith, as long as we're trusting who God is, and see, I'm not trusting who God is if I'm not trusting his covenant, his covenant of peace. I'm not believing the truth about God if I'm not believing the gospel of peace. And so as long as I'm believing this, all of these things can be going on all around me, but it doesn't mean they're going to have any effect on me because every fiery dart that is fired at me, however you interpret fiery darts, every fiery dart that's fired at you or me is just going to be quenched. It's just going to be put out when it hits this shield of faith. And of course, number four, talking about identity and authority, is then, of course, you got to exercise your authority. See, just because you have authority doesn't mean it automatically works. You have rights in the kingdom of God, and those rights are based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But if you do not exercise those rights, then they don't benefit you at all. In Matthew 16, you know, this is where Jesus was asking the boys, he said, look, 
you know, uh, they came and they said, you know, this is what people are saying about you. Some of them think that you're the prophet Elijah. Some of them think that you're John the Baptist, whatever. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? Well, of course, Peter spoke up and he confessed that he was, you know, the son of the living God. And so Jesus made a statement that we tend to connect to, of course, the Catholics try to connect it just to Peter and make it about Peter. We try to connect it just to the fact that he confessed Jesus. But in context, the statement that he's about to make has to do with anybody who confesses who Jesus is and then exercises the authority that he gives him. So this is not just pointing backwards to get the context. So listen to this. So Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter, Petros, and on this rock, I will build my church. On what rock? What rock is going to build a church? He said, I'm going to build my rock on a church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give them, or I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is very important. You see, the thing that keeps the gates, the strongest point of Hades, if you will, and the world of death and darkness and doom, and doom the most powerful force that can come against you to destroy you, the one thing that's going to make it where you will always prevail and you'll always be an overcomer is knowing and using the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, at the resurrection, God's will was done perfectly in heaven, probably for the first time since Lucifer rebelled. Jesus purged the heavenly holy of holies. He stripped Satan of all principality and power, all power and right. He cast him out of heaven. So never again could Satan enter into heaven. Never again could Satan go into the presence of God and accuse man before God. So Jesus goes into heaven and he has established the will of God in heaven. Now, it is left to us because we have authority here in planet Earth to establish the will of God or the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, this, you want to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not just saying just quote these words. He's talking about this is what prayer is about. That prayer is about establishing the kingdom of God, the will of God here on earth in exact duplication as it has been established in heaven. And so he says, you know, the gates of Hades can never prevail against you. Why? Because I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And actually, in the Greek, it says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so this goes back to something we've talked about dozens of times in these broadcasts. If we know that something has been established in heaven, if we know that it has been declared illegal or unlawful in heaven, if we know that it has been declared legal and lawful, we have to establish that by believing that truth, believing what Jesus did at the cross, and speaking our authority into the situation. Now, when we begin to realize the authority that we have, when we begin to believe and trust in the finished work of Jesus, we are going to begin to experience peace. You know, the Bible says in Romans 5, one says, Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God. Now, the word peace is more than just a tranquil state of mind. 
You know, you can have a tranquil state of mind because you're deceived. You can have a tranquil state of mind because you're on drugs. You can have a tranquil state of mind because you're drunk. You can have a tranquil state of mind because you got a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend or a new job or situations are going right. But that tranquil state of mind is based on these circumstances that can change at any moment and can be totally deceptive. But this word, peace, it's very similar to the word shalom in the Old Testament. It has to do with health, healing, prosperity, and blessing. In other words, it has to do with these things that we have in salvation. And so the concept is this. The peace of God is a tranquil state that comes from knowing that all of our needs have been met. But I'll take that even a step farther. Also knowing that we have the authority to choose and establish what Jesus died to protect us from and what he rose again to give us in this life. That's why Philippians 4, 6 tells us, you know, look, don't be anxious. Don't be stressful. Don't get into anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, you notice it didn't say that the God of peace would guard your heart and mind. It said the peace of God. In other words, this is not something that God causes to happen by making a decision because you've prayed enough and done enough. It's something that you make happen because you choose not to be anxious, because you bind up anxiety, you bind up fear, you bind up these things that are warring against your mind, and you put on or you lose the promises of God. You remind yourself of the promises of God. And the peace of God starts ruling your heart. Now, when you have peace in your life, one of the things that starts happening is you start noticing what's going on around you. People who live in peace notice what's going on around them. They notice what's going on inside of them. You know, I've used this example for years because I can't think of a better example. But you know, when I was a kid, my brother and I played in the creek down in the woods Every day, I guess. And, uh, you know, we went fishing just about every day. So in this creek that we played on, you know, there were places where the water was shallow and it was moving real fast and maybe it'd be narrow. And then you come to a place where there's a big, wide open pond that was being fed by this creek. Well, because it was wide and it was deep, then the water was perfectly still. My brother and I used to love to throw rocks out in that water and watch the ripples. Well, you know something? It didn't matter how small of a little pebble you threw in there. It always created ripples, and you could see them because the water was peaceful. But I'll tell you something. You could walk down to the Gulf of Mexico and walk to the edge of the water with a concrete block, a cinder block in your hand, and you could throw it out there in the middle of those waves, and you would never even notice that anything happened. Why? Because in turmoil and stress and all these things, we lose our ability to be sensitive. If we are people who are noticing what's going on, then we will catch things in their earliest beginning stages and will do something about it. Listen, don't go away. I'm going to come back to my mentoring moment in just a second. You know, if this is speaking to your heart, man, if you're getting stirred up to feel better about yourself right now, go online and you can download this series, Dignity and Worth, and you can begin making your transformation today. Don't wait another minute. 
You know, November and December are always interesting months for so many people because people are facing all kinds of challenges, financial challenges and emotional challenges and relational challenges. And listen, I don't know about you, but for me, the holidays most of my life was an absolute torment. I struggled with depression and I would start getting depressed about the end of October and I would stay depressed all the way through sometimes to the spring because holidays were so miserable. Listen, I want you to be sure and get our mobile app so you'll have easy access to this, but you, you can get this on our website. I have a free gift that I want to give you in November and December about creating happy holidays. And it's a free gift that is going to share with you some things about how you can create traditions that mean something to you and your family and how you can free yourself from any of the struggles that you have from the past. All right, so we start talking about Philippians, and, and Philippians is just one of those great scriptures where it says, be anxious for nothing. Now, if you're living in a state of peace, then you will immediately recognize it when you begin to become anxious or stressful. Now, see what most people do when they become anxious or stressful. And keep in mind, to be anxious or stressful is really to be entering into the realm of temptation. Because, you know, temptation is to be tested, to be tried, to be scrutinized. But it also means to be made to strive or basically to be brought into stress. And so whenever we're getting anxious about something, we're entering into temptation because in that situation, we're not sure of what God's going to do. So the moment we recognize anything that makes us stressful, the moment we recognize anything that is a negative situation, we don't start saying, oh, why is this happening? Oh, God, will you please fix this for me? See, God cannot exercise authority in your life. If he does, he'll violate how he created us, and he himself would become a liar. If you're not willing to exercise authority, then you're just going to be stuck with this situation. You know, Jesus said, when we experience trespasses or sins, anything that makes us feel less than who we really are, less than the glory of God, anything that makes you feel that way, you got two choices. That is, you either got to send it away or you're going to hold on to it for the rest of your life. And there's not a third choice. So the moment we begin to feel anxious, stressful, negative, fearful, we should stop and use our authority and say, no, Based on the resurrection of Jesus or the death of Jesus, you have no right. He took all of the curse. I'm not taking any of the curse and I send you away. And then you just pray and meditate and imagine and think about that leaving you. Just see it leaving you and call it by name, fear, anxiety, worry, whatever you want to call it. But then immediately, as I've told you so many times, you want to choose, what am I going to put on? Well, that's when you start doing exactly what Jesus did when he faced temptation. You start quoting Scripture that states God's promise, that states God's process. You start quoting Scripture, and you start calling that yours. But you know, if you don't notice it and recognize it and act right away, this thing will grow in your life. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.